Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. It's another day in self-isolation up here in Canada, but I am ecstatic to reach out to a very good friend of mine. This one kind of got sparked because uh, we missed each other at least four times at LDI this year. It just didn't happen. And as much as we both love LDI, it's not always the best place to meet up because you only get about five seconds of, of real interaction and then you'll have somebody kind of peering from you, peering at you from behind. And it's just a, it's such a, a constant barrage of handshaking. And, and that's just not something that we have the, the luxury of doing these days. So I'm so happy to reach out to my very good friend, Bud Horowitz. He is a freelance lighting designer out of L.A., Thank you so much for making the time out of your busy schedule to hang out with me for a bit. Yeah, I, my pleasure, Chris. It's uh, nice to finally get to talk with you. Uh, my busy schedule these days is cleaning out the garage and repairing the grout in my front courtyard. Um, so there you go. I'd love to say I was working on a bunch of things, but uh, they've been falling like dominoes one after another for summer and fall stuff. Yeah, it's that is the current state of affairs, man. It's tough. There's a lot of people that I've been reaching out to. They're just, hey, I had so many things on the schedule and I had to delete them from my calendar one at a time, and it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts sure every it does. time. I mean, you know, I've got I've got two decent things still scheduled for like September, uh, mostly September, October, and who knows if they're going to happen. You know. Cool. I I would hope I would hold on to those as as dearly as you can, and. Uh, you know, hope for the best. We'll see. Uh, I wish you all the, <laughs> I, I wish you all the luck in the world. Uh, I think I'm supposed to say break a leg there on that one. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, I finally actually just found out the, the real, where that uh, phrase came from. Nothing to do with your actual leg. Interesting. Fill me in. It's an old theatrical term. It came from uh, when they were wishing somebody well walking on stage or if they weren't, if they were scheduled to go on stage, but maybe it wasn't going to happen or they were standing by to go on stage. It refers to the theatrical drapery leg of making it past that onto the stage of breaking a leg. Aha. Uh-huh. That something makes perfect had, sense. In all these years of working in the theater, uh, I never knew. I guess it's better than, you know, drop below the teaser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> most likely <laughs> right on so the the moment you break the plane of the leg yep. you're Breaking go for it that's, interesting that's it. yeah ah the things we learn that's, that's and i knew i know a lot of arcane theater terminology that one uh i always i never knew where it really came from and i don't even remember where i saw that explanation but it was recently that is super interesting i uh on 
Fridays, I run Dad Academy with my kids. And uh, last Friday, the entire day was dedicated to idioms and mm-hmm. where they came from. Interesting. Some of them don't make any sense, but some of them are like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to go into it too much, but uh, cakewalk or a piece of cake mm-hmm. has a much more sinister uh, origin than I thought. Really? It has to do with uh, with slavery and how doing a cakewalk was how you got cake, and eventually the the slaves would use the cakewalks as a way to mock their owners. Interesting. Uh, it was if you get a chance after this one, uh, research that one further. Mm-hmm. Sure, that sounds that sounds fascinating. Anyway, it's completely off topic, but very interesting. And and English has so many idioms like that that make that make no sense grammatically. You know, uh, and just who knows what half of them refer to. Yeah, we we don't even think about it. We just uh, we just say them because we've been because we've heard them. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, so one of the reasons I wanted to reach out to you is because I know that you have probably the last major world event before the world got flipped on its head, and I believe that was Yanni <laughs> in Mexico City. It was Yanni, Mexico City. I believe it was March 13th or 14th. And I don't know of any arena shows that happened that day or, or following that. I don't um, either. And we were actually scheduled to go from Mexico City to Guadalajara and then uh, Bogota, Colombia, and then San Jose, uh, Costa Rica. And obviously those were... Uh, we knew that we knew the Bogota and San Jose shows were gone when we started the day in Mexico City. And the uh, show in Guadalajara got canceled as of that day. And they were scrambled to book everybody flights home. So fill me in on the emotional roller coaster from doing an arena stadium show one day to flying home to months of nothingness. Well, I mean, I think everybody knew it was coming. And, and quite a number of us on the crew were pretty anxious to get out of there and get home because nobody really knew what was going to happen. Uh, and everybody feels safer at home. Uh, I don't think any of us wanted to spend extended periods of time with, you know, large groups of people or more airplanes and airports than we needed to. Um, so emotionally, I mean, do we want to work? Sure. But I think at that point, safety was, you know, more of a concern than anything else. Yeah. I think we can all agree to that. Um, Which is tough too, because uh, one of our favorite idioms is the show must go on, but sure, sure. Even that has limitations. I mean, it even felt weird doing the show in Mexico City with the sold out, sold out arena, um, knowing that you know you're no matter what you do, you're going to come in contact with people and things people have touched, and nobody was wearing masks yet at that point or anything, and Mexico was an unknown in terms of how much of it was around, uh, so it was. It was a little, it was an odd day. Wow. Uh, production was, uh, I would imagine they were as, as open and honest as they could be. And they say, Hey bud, this is, this is something that we're going to do today. We're doing it. And then oh, sure. uh, I mean, there are, we can't do any further. Yeah. I mean, that camp is always very open about everything. Um, pretty much everything is decided at the, at the artist uh, tour manager level. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't really have separate management. So stuff's pretty transparent. 
Cool. So the load-in happened as normal. Everything went well. It was just kind of an odd feeling the whole well, day. Well, sure, because well, all, you know, all day you don't, you don't know what – I mean, we knew that the, the other two shows in, uh, in Colombia and, Puerto, and um, Costa Rica were canceled, but we, we really were sort of on the fence about the next day. Uh, so there was a lot of – I mean, everybody went and did their jobs. Uh, and the show is the show is great. The audience was incredibly responsive, um, but it wasn't until pretty much right before showtime that we found out that we were going to start booking flights home for the next day. Wow! You know, so and at that point, you just got to you just got to turn off that part of you and turn on the show part, and you know, lock in. And even then, in our in our monkey brains, we're our first reaction is, well, this is, this will be over in a week or two. We'll be right back. And uh, I'm sure we'll reschedule some shows and then you get home and just one after another yep, uh, sure. came off the calendar, I would imagine. Yeah. And my, my wife also tours uh, and she was in the middle of a U.S. tour with an artist that does both uh, U S international touring as well as Vegas residencies. And they actually uh, came home right in the middle of a U.S. leg. And slowly the residencies have been going away and then the U.S. dates have been going away. Uh, so we're, we're both home right now for the first time in quite a while. Oh, that is the silver lining, I would imagine. That's got to be nice. Sure. Sure. I mean, I think in the last couple of years, there have been very few periods of time when we were both home for more than 10 days at a time. Which is really ten sort of odd. magical, wonderful yeah. days, and now seventy. <laughs> now we got to be coming up on seventy-ish. Something, something like at least. I mean, I've been we both been home since. Uh, I think I think she was she had just left for a couple of days to go back to Las Vegas to to do some stuff in, in the artist's locker uh, and put some clothing away. She does wardrobe, um, and then we were both we were both home. We've been both home ever since. Wow. So that's actually the, the second reason I wanted to reach out to you is because not only are you constantly traveling, but you're also constantly traveling the world doing lighting. And one of the things I, I have always seen on your Facebook pages is some of the, the very unique venues that you play with uh, primarily Yanni. Yanni's mm -hmm. the one that takes you guys to some, some of the, the most antiquity, some of the venues of antiquity. Sure. Uh, what's that like? Uh, there are always challenges. Um, a lot of that depends on whether or not we're, we're shooting the show for any reason. Uh, when we did the pyramids in Giza and the uh, El Moro Fort in Puerto Rico, we shot those for PBS specials. So it adds another you know, few layers of challenges. Uh, we just did the, um, these ancient, ancient temples in Yogyakarta, Indonesia last year. Um, that was... There was there was IMAG obviously, but no, we're not. We weren't shooting it for any broadcast, so it was a little bit less, a little bit less pressure. It was more treating them in scenery than than anything else. Um, there are always challenges. I mean, something like the pyramids, where you're dealing with uh, you know locally supplied lighting gear, locally supplied video gear, uh, and no time. <laughs> I mean, the the time. I think I think I saw the fixtures to light the pyramids and the Sphinx two nights before the shoot, one night before the rehearsals. Um, and we didn't really wow. see real, real video gear till the, till the day before rehearsals. Uh, the video truck showed up, but it, it didn't have anything in its racks. And they said, once they get a <laughs> more of a deposit, they'll start bringing the gear out. Um, 
the uh, the pyramids themselves are lit, but they're lit for a sound and light show. So right. they're all, when they're lit, nothing else is. So obviously right. lighting being relative, the amount of light on them was nowhere near sufficient for camera. Right. Uh, we started looking into bringing fixtures over there and they kept delaying and delaying and delaying. We ended up pulling some fixtures out of Germany uh, to light okay. them. But as of three days before the shoot, I had 24 7K moving lights that were sitting in customs that they wouldn't release. Of course. Um, and they wanted a deposit uh, in the full retail value of the fixtures, which was, I don't know how many million dollars. Obviously, oh, that wasn't wow. going to happen. Um, the show was co-sponsored by the Egyptian Tourism Board. We ended up having to go through the government to get them to release the fixtures, which showed up the night before rehearsals. Uh, so it was very special. Um, and then they really didn't perform quite the way they told me they would, of course. <laughs> you know, and just load, just locating fixtures that size when you've got a uh, when you've got a a pyramid that's a kilometer behind the stage and you're having to locate fixtures out there along with the generator, along with DMX uh, receivers and put DMX repeaters along the way just so you can get signal to the fixtures. Uh, once you set them, you didn't really want to move them anywhere. Um, so there were, there were some challenges. Luckily I brought a friend of mine out of Los Angeles with me and really he, all he dealt with was, py was pyramid lighting. So I just, I just, I just didn't have time to put it through my console. Uh, it was all I could do to get the stage, the stage lighting happening, because when you're dealing with large architectural or historic things behind the stage, the last thing you want to do is, is put up a rig that's going to block that view. So right. my rig was basically side goalposts and floor lighting which is far from my normal rig. Um, I did quite a bit of previs at home, but still, you know, when, once you get there and, and the fixtures are a little bit different and the placement's different and, right. and you're starting to look at cameras that you'd never seen before, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a challenge. Um, I, so, I mean, lighting sites like that is amazing. Uh, you, you know, and it, it's sort of odd because I think I think one of my pictures online is, is me with the Sphinx and the pyramid behind me. Mm -hmm. um, and if I had turned around and, and looked the other direction from the pyramids, there's a, uh, I think it's the Kentucky fried chicken about 50 yards back there. So it's, it's Kentucky really fried chicken in a pizza hut. If I remember the pizza <laughs> hey, hut is a pizza KFC. Hut. You're, you're correct. That's right. You're correct. Yeah. Well, you've been there. <laughs> I have. Um, yep. So things like it, that are always... It kind of steals a lot of the mystery when, you, when, when you're looking at the Sphinx from the Pizza Hut. Yeah, it, it's very true. You know? And I remember getting there and standing in front of the house and turning around and going, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, just, it's, it's pretty awesome to be there you know, at night by yourself with just a couple of other people uh, focusing lights on a pyramid. Um, I mean, not many people get to do that. Uh, and regardless of what the challenges were, you know, and it's just a pretty amazing place to be. And it turned out fine. I mean, we, we shot it, I think, I think it was 12 or 13 cameras for PBS. Uh, are there things we, you know, we could have done differently? Sure. But considering the time frame that we had uh, and some of the challenges, I think, I think we did pretty good. Do you have the same, uh, for lack of 
better term, a disease that I have. I have what I would call grass is greener on the other side itis. Oh, sure. When I'm, when I'm touring normal stadiums and arenas where the load in's nice and easy and everything's comfortable, I want that. I want to be lighting a pyramid. I want to, I want to tour where it's just <laughs> crazy venues all the time mm-hmm. until I get it. And then I'm like, oh my God, this is hard. It is really something? is hard. I mean, it's always, it's always a challenge. Um, yeah. When we shot, the, we also shot the show for PBS in front of the uh, El Moro Fort in Puerto Rico, which was the first, the first fortified structure in the Western Hemisphere. And it's right there at the tip of the, tip of the island. And it's actually a, uh, a national park. So there were all sorts of rules and regulations dealing with the park service, et cetera. And uh, it was, everything was provided locally except for my console. I, always, I carry a console with me all the time. Um, the gear was okay, except half of it wasn't available because I, there was, I believe, a Britney Spears show three nights before us in the arena. And what they didn't tell me was most of the gear I needed was going to be on that shoot or on that show. Uh, okay. And after the show, they put it in a truck. The truck showed up at, at the venue at about three in the morning. And of course it was padlocked and nobody had the key. Uh, <laughs> but the big issue there was, was weather. Uh, as soon as the sun went down, it would get very windy and start raining. Um, mm-hmm. There was a roof structure over the stage, but it was not the most well-engineered structure in the world, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Uh, the footings were sort of suspect. So as soon as it got windy, it would have to come down to just above drum height. Um, so I never actually got to program on site. Um, I think the night before we shot a rehearsal, I took the console back to my room <clears throat> and, and programmed blind uh, with no previs. Wow. Um, and then shot the show the next night. Uh, and then the day before the show, we had a front of, front of house tower uh, on scaffolding behind the stands with four super troopers on it. One of them had a bad issue. And when they went to replace it, they used an extended reach forklift. Uh, it picked up the super trooper, backed up into the mud and went over and missed my, uh, missed my assistant by about five feet with the follow spot. Wow. So it was, uh, and it, I mean, it, it poured, the first show we shot, it poured rain. And the rain, we actually stopped after about four songs. Uh, the rain was actually coming in horizontally. Uh, and Yanni just was getting soaked at a sitting his piano. Um, <laughs> I would imagine you just have to sit there and laugh at, at, at some I mean, point. What are you you're like, do? Hey. I, yeah. I mean, uh, I've gotten to the point where some a lot of the 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 overseas stuff especially the one-nighters when i walk in and you know what i've been told i was going to have is not what i have uh i i'm pretty anal about advance work when these international ones and mm-hmm. and getting them to send me real you know realistic lists of what they really have and then do i'll do the swaps you know in, in cad or my in my vector work software here send them an updated plot with with their fixtures and i get there and you know, find out what they told me was an actual fixture is actually a clone of the Chinese clone of the fixture, uh, mm-hmm. which is okay, except it doesn't use the same profile. And I find that right. out, you know, I find that out of, uh, when I go to fire stuff up and then I've got to, you know, hunt out a profile or build one, which as you know, uh, is not the most fun thing to do on site. Uh, and that no. happens a lot. That happens a lot. 
you know, I get there and, and, and or, or I'll, they'll send me a profile the fix, for the fixture, which I can't find anywhere. Uh, and I'll have to build one myself here and I won't know if it works or not till I get on site. Um, that just happened to me, the Great Hall of the People in Beijing, where the, the profiles they sent me, I built, I built profiles for them and you get there and I, why do I have no light coming out of that fixture and, and try to fix it and with no time. Uh, so the days can get a little bit stressful. Um, yeah. But I laugh about it afterwards at least. <laughs> You you kind of have to. You can mm-hmm. get upset and you can uh, raise your your blood levels and mm-hmm. throw your hat and sure you know smash your radio, but you're not. It's not gonna it's not gonna make the lights turn on, is it? No, and when, and once the show starts, it's just I go into that mode, you know, and and and, and that it is what it is. I mean, I can fix some stuff during a show, uh, mm-hmm. but if it's not fixable, it's not fixable, you know. Uh, or if it's gonna take. I mean, my days at that point become more about time management than anything else. Um, right. And you just basically just have to look at everything and say, what do I absolutely need to have, you know, to pull out this show and what can I sort of fake it with? Do I need to rewrite these color palettes? Do I need to have, can I do it without those, you know, that group of four lights if I can't get them working? Um, and that's unfortunately more common than the days where I walk in and everything's perfect, which is, is. Which, is which is quite rare in those yeah. shows. I think that's, one of the more important things that a lot of people overlook with with experience comes your ability to prioritize mm-hmm. and you you can avoid getting lost in the weeds with a, a single broken fixture when you know that well as long as i've got my front light and and some washes i can still sure. rock a show yeah it's, it really is all about prioritizing on those days i mean we actually had we've been doing yanni's international shows now for i think we started in 2010 and in that time i think we've had one train wreck and that was that was istanbul where the vendor was a a lowball vendor who the promoter hired and they didn't have a they didn't have a clue about how to do dmx routing power routing anything all the information they gave me was was incorrect it was very special And, and and i think we got we got some, we got the, at that time I still had park hands for orchestra washes. We got some of those working. We got some of the moving lights working. I stopped using follow spots for all my solos on that, on that show just because of the complexity of trying to call that through a translator. And there's a lot of solo mm-hmm. pickups. So I do those all with hard edge lights from the front truss. Um, okay. I had one of those hard edge lights working. Uh, <laughs> And unfortunately, it was uh, every time I would bring up level on it, a wash light that was next to it would start strobing. Um, so they were obviously on the same, <laughs> the, the wash light had the wrong DMX address. Uh, I asked my stage manager, who was a lighting guy, to go back and see if he could find the breaker for, uh, for that fixture, which he did. But unfortunately, they were twofered in terms of power as well. Of course. So of every course. time I would have to manually grab that hard edge light and do a, a solo pickup, the wash light would start strobing next to it as well. Uh, there was stuff there that I that was at the top of my priority list that I that I never got working. Uh, oh, Yanni's, Yanni, some of Yanni's key lights when he set the piano. It, it's just, you know, here it is. It's time to uh, take house lights, and I got what I got. Have you like, had to have the heart to heart with your tour management and production management? Like, Hey, this is the nature of the beast here. We're, 
you know, we're doing guerrilla shows. You're going to get whatever we can yeah, and muster. They're, and, they're, and they're pretty aware of that, and they're, they're very good about it. At that time, uh, our stage manager was an old lighting guy. Our production manager was also a lighting guy. So they all got it. Um, okay. Our production manager has since uh, left to go do another, another artist. But, uh, okay. but he was a lighting guy for many years. Um, so they get it. Um, Yanni actually saw me the next morning and looked at me and goes, I'm not even going to say anything. You must have been going through more hell than I was. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. I mean, you know, stuff like that just, just doesn't happen. Pretty much always able to get at least the essentials uh, happening to keep him comfortable. You know, and people can see him. They can see solos. He sees his lights where he needs to see them. Uh, the rest of it is great when it's there, but if it's not, it's not. I and mean, you, you do what you can. Um, that sounds like you have at least some sort of mutual understanding between you and Yanni, like, hey, we're, we're doing some tough shows and you're getting the, the top quality you can get that, that exists. It's just sometimes things aren't possible. And he gets it. He's, he's, not, he's not very technically oriented lighting-wise. He's very technically, technically oriented audio-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so the audio guys can get more of a specific dress down if something's not right. Uh, he's pretty much, he trusts me. Uh, he knows that it's always going to be, you know, the best that I can make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a level, it's always nice to have a level of trust like that with an artist. Um, and the fact that it'll, it will come, any issues will come to me, that he has will come to me directly from him. It doesn't go through a road manager, tour manager, production manager. Uh, That's nice. You know, I mean, I've I've done, except for one tour, I've done every show of his since 97. Wow, that's impressive. And it was it was initially uh, uh, it was when we did arena touring starting in '97. It was all North America. Uh, Peter Morris had done the initial design, uh, and I worked with you know I worked with Peter on that for many tours. And then he uh, he did a a tour with vocalists. So it was a Disney sponsored ship in I think 2008, which somebody else designed. And then they came to me in 2010, and they said we want to move the show into we want to change the show from an arena show to a theater show pretty much and and cut it down enough to where we can do international touring which which he'd never done before really uh aside from when he did the taj mahal in forbidden city um in 96 or 97 i think wow those must have been some tough shows too yeah those are before uh, me that was actually uh yeah um, gern kaninsky and lee rose uh did those uh, and I'm sure hey, you're, they good, were, uh, you're in good company. Yeah. <laughs> uh, good company. But I know that the, those shows, they brought everything with them. Uh, they brought a lot of barrel light stuff. They brought a lot of, uh, at that time, light and sound design gear. Um, they had a mm-hmm. lot of really, really good, really good people uh, on those shows. Uh, but they were, I mean, they, I've seen, I've seen the videos and I've seen the pictures, you know, of, of camels with barrel lights strapped to their humps. <laughs> Because they didn't have a road yet to be able to get anything to the stage. Yeah. So I'm sure there were there were some serious challenges, but they were also on site at the Taj Mahal for four or five weeks, I think. Those are the the very exciting challenges that we get to endure when we mm-hmm. go doing uh, unique sure. uh, venues. So I just recently had a conversation with Peter Morse about residen- residencies mm-hmm. and how long they've actually been a thing, despite sure. what. Some people in Vegas have marketed them as. If you were to get a call, let's say you were to get two calls tomorrow, one 
to go to the Taj Mahal and one do a two-week residency and the pay being the same, which one would you choose? Would you take the, the tougher, more rewarding, or would you take the, the more comfortable route? Uh, part of that depends on what the, the future would bring following those gigs. You know, if that residency okay. was going to lead to four residencies a year, okay. um, as opposed to a one-off, I would, I would love, I mean, I love going and lighting weird places. Um, so it, it's really, it really depends. If that was a one-off and it was just a one-shot thing, uh, okay. with that artist, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. It is a um, tough one. I don't know which one I would take. What would you do? <laughs> Uh, it's been a while for me. I haven't had to really get to flex my problem solving skills in that way. I would, I would probably take the, the rare and exotic venue Mm -hmm. at this point. Mm -hmm. And then if you were to ask me two days into the rare and exotic event, it would definitely be, (laughs) Uh definitely be the residency in Vegas at a, at a well-established venue. Sure. I mean, my, my, my wife works with an artist on a residency at the park theater and they had been doing, at least four times a year for two or three weeks at a time, uh, doing three shows a week. Mm-hmm. And I mean, she loves it because uh, when she goes to Vegas for two or three weeks, she takes the horses with her and goes riding every day. And um, wow. lots, of, lots of time to go riding. Yeah. Uh, we have a friend who owns some property out there that uh, has stables and she gets uh, some stalls from them and go, takes the horses out to Red Rocks and goes riding. Um, so for her, it's great. That is a perfect segue into my, what was going to be my next question. And you've already kind of answered it. So I'm kind of assuming the way you're going to answer this one, but do you use your work traveling excursions as vacation opportunities? Uh, Almost never. Um, One, I really, well, I really don't have the time Uh, unless, unless I were to stay, unless I were to stay somewhere, you know, at the last, at the last gig, uh, or go out somewhere early. Uh, we -hmm. do, I mean, the Yanni stuff, we'll, we'll fly into a country, load in the next day, do a show the next day, fly out the next day. Um, right. So I, you know, if we have a load in day, uh, sometimes we don't, we load in day of, um, so I really don't have that opportunity. Um, the only time I have taken advantage of that, I think I had never been to Israel. And we were starting a tour in uh, Tel Aviv mm-hmm. and my wife was working at the time, but I flew my son. I had them book my flight a week early and I bought a plane ticket for my son and he and I flew over a week early and uh, stayed in Jerusalem for a week um, and went in and went into the whole old city, Jerusalem, all around Israel trip, which was phenomenal. And in fact, about two years later, uh, we finished a tour in Tel Aviv. And again, I stayed there for, uh, a week um, following the tour. And so I, I've done a couple, I guess a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, okay. Generally, generally I don't, if we were to start or end a tour in New Zealand, I would probably take advantage of that, you know, and, and bring my right wife on. or son over and, uh, or Italy. I could see doing it. I mean, I can see doing it. I've just never really had uh, too many opportunities. Most of the time we do countries we're in and out. And I think with Yanni, I've done, 40 around 40 countries maybe wow. maybe more maybe more i think i'm up to about 70 75 or 76 countries i've been to now um but That's yeah i mean the, the vacation thing would be would be wonderful as i said with yanni most of the time where 
in and out. Um, I think we had one occasion. In fact, the the time my son had come with me to to Israel, we were supposed to go from there to uh, Istanbul for a few days to do shows. And at that time, there were riots going on in Turkey. Uh, so they flew us, uh, instead of flying everybody home, because we had other shows after Turkey, uh, they flew us all to Greece for a week. And we actually wow. went down and spent uh, spent a week in southern Greece on the beach. So I didn't happen to book that as a vacation, but it did it did work out that way, which was, you know, certainly doesn't happen very often. One of those hidden, uh, unique perks that... Uh-huh. Uh, once in a blue moon, we get to we get to ex- sure. enjoy those. Sure, and you know, and, and over the years, I've had enough time in in major cities like London and Tokyo and Paris and Rome um, to spend a day or so mm-hmm. uh, exploring, but rarely, rarely more than that. Yeah, I go back and forth on that one. Uh, sometimes my wife will criticize me. She's like, "You were in Paris and you didn't leave the hotel." You're like, well, yeah, babe, I just finished. Six days in a row. I, <laughs> I, it was a hotel room and I was sleepy and mm-hmm. I, I didn't have time to do anything, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's sad, but true. Sometimes that's just the case. We're, we're, we're there to work and sure. It doesn't matter if we're in the most beautiful place in the world. You know, sometimes we just need to sleep. Sure. And we'll have, we'll have occasions, you know, a lot of the international stuff we do are outdoor shows. So needless to say, uh, we'll load in equipment and then that night, Everybody else will go hang out and party. And well, what am I doing? I'm sitting there programming and focusing, uh, you know, till three or four in the morning. Um, because it isn't until I start moving stuff around that I find out that there are issues with fixtures or, you know, whatever. Uh, half the time I spend, it's getting better, but I've spent, just spent a lot of time troubleshooting DMX issues uh, and all that because, you know, I mean, I remember doing, uh, a show in Panama in the old, the old, the ruins of the old city, uh, which is wow. basically piles of rocks now. And we had an issue. I had a lot of DMX issues. Uh, I finally got everything working. I was there late with, uh, at that time, our rigger, who was a Spanish speaker, which was great. And we were, uh, it was about an hour into the programming, and we saw about five guys five security guys come running in the gate back gate behind us headed toward backstage, um, carrying all carrying weapons. And, um, we heard about three shotgun blasts a little bit later and found out there had been some people threatening to come in and loot the backstage area. And they decided to go back there and fire warning shots. Um, so that was special. And we didn't really stay there very long after that. About half an hour prior to the show, right about the time we were pretty much getting ready, uh, I lost DMX control of all the conventionals, um, only to find out our, our production manager at the time was a lighting guy, went back there and goes, there's such a massive heap of cable over by, Dem- by Denver, so I've got to, it's going to take me 15 minutes just to find what DMX line uh, is going to the Dimmers. Um, but I've had a troubleshoot system problems, uh, you know, or, or people giving me wrong DMX addresses, you know, especially for dimmers back when we used a lot of dimmers. And I basically just had to patch everything one-to-one and step through, you know, dimmer by dimmer yep. to dimmer. Um, the first time I did, we did Yanni's show uh, with this new configuration was in Santiago, Chile. 
and we loaded in the day before the show. I had done all, I had reprogrammed the entire show at home on a, uh, on a previous system. And we got there and the, when I plugged everything in, the moving lights were okay and everything worked. Mm -hmm. uh, the dimmers were all over the place. They couldn't give me a breakdown of what was what. And I had a lot of park hands still at that time. So I basically had to patch one-to-one -one and step through and figure it out. And none of it made any sense. Uh, I'd patch it one-to-one -one and dimmer one or channel one would bring up dimmer one, channel two would bring up dimmer four, channel three would bring up dimmer six. Oh, yeah. uh, so it was all, it was all, it was the way it was wired inside their racks. Um, I went ahead and just dealt with that and patched it and got everything working. And we did sound check. And then I went to go to dinner. And as I walked by the, uh, the dimmer pit, I look over and I see lamps flashing on and off. And I went, guys, what's going on? Oh, we know you had problems with that dimmer rack. So we brought a different one and we're putting it in line. And I was, oh. no, no, oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 please don't. Um, so there's stuff like that happens. Uh, but I, I've gotten, I've gotten good at, at dealing with the time crunch issues uh, and, and, and realizing, you know, pretty early on what I was going to have to, what I have to deal with that day and what I don't. Um, man, there's, you must have uh the patience of a panda, man. You just must be so chill at sometimes. I would imagine the the more stressful it gets, the more you just have to center yourself, and you're like, "It's okay." I mean, okay. what are you going to do? You know, there's there's times uh, we just we just did a show in uh, in Shanghai, and and what they told me were going to be sharpies were sharpie copies with completely. They had told me they were the same profiles, and that they weren't. And I didn't have anything mm -hmm. close to a profile for the, the fixtures they had. Um, I guess one of the, uh, so I, I ended up, I was, I was, and I didn't have any internet in front of house. So I'm running back and forth in front of house with the production office, going online, trying to find something close that I could adapt. And, uh, and this is, you know, about an hour before sound check, uh, I guess. And that was, I think I yelled at a few people on the way. <laughs> which I don't do very often, <laughs> but it just gets, you know, well, you know that there's something out there that's going to help you. And, and it's just, right. it's just time, you know, it, it's time. Yeah. Um, I've gotten to the point now where I've, I've, I've pretty much insisted on me bringing somebody with me. I've never really had any, another lighting guy on the road with me before. Um, so I have the last, the last few shows we've, we've done, I've actually brought somebody with me as one of my, my head elects out of delicate, um, just to be that interface because I don't have time to go back and you know, running back and forth to dimmer saying, Oh, you know, um, my hazers aren't working. Can you guys check that? Or, or can you check the power to this half the time? I don't have communication to them yet. Uh, and I've just, I've just, I've wasted a lot of time doing, you know, dealing with stuff like that. Um, yeah. So I'm finally to the point now where they're letting me bring somebody with me pretty much all the time. It, it's somebody that I'm very familiar with and, and I get along with great and, and they, they spot stuff before I do, you know, so, uh, but it is, it's, it's a, it's a big relief uh, to not have to go, you know, running back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Uh, you know, Denver's in front of house to Denver's cool. in front of house. Um, so now that you've gotten so good at putting fires out on the road, <laughs> do you find it more calming when you're out on the road or when you're at home 
Uh, where are you, for lack of a better term, where are you more at home, out on the road or at home? Well, it depends. I mean, in terms of being calm, I'm probably calmer on the road than I am at home. Uh, mostly because on, uh, certainly on, on show days, I'm, my, my focus is pretty singular. Um, mm-hmm. When I'm home, I mean, I'm always dealing with, you know, uh, when I'm home, I'm trying to get stuff done at home and get stuff fixed right. and get stuff worked on. And, you know, especially if, if I'm home and I'm a time other than like now where I'm, I've got, you know, four or five different shows that I'm working on. Uh, it's crazed. Uh, when I'm on the road, even if I have other shows that are coming up, I don't, I don't deal with those shows as much during a show day. Right. Um, so it's definitely a bit calmer. Uh, my days off are a little crazy sometimes. But when I'm home and I'm mm-hmm. busy with work, and in addition to stuff taking care of the house and, and my property, uh, it's definitely not as not as calming. I don't think. Yeah, I, I think that's something that a lot of us uh, are unwilling to to admit sometimes that being out on the road and at work is easier for us. Whereas mm-hmm. being at home, it's just, we don't. There's no such thing as singular focus when you're at home. Right. There's, sure kid family and bills and car payments and yeah out on the road all that stuff kind of gets handled by somebody else and yep sure well sometimes i have to go out on the road just to just to take a breath you know yes and no the fact that my my wife is on the road a lot as well yeah Uh, i do i do spend a lot of time on days off dealing with with bills uh luckily my son who's 27 still lives at home you know, so in terms of the physical aspects of the property, uh, I'm not I'm not as concerned, um, but I still deal with a lot of home related stuff when I'm on the road, um, depending on whether or not my wife's home. You know, there's this last couple of years, uh, she works. She's been working with uh, Cher uh, as a wardrobe manager, so she's um, gone a lot. <laughs> Cher's been working a lot. Yeah, you guys both work for some busy artists. Yeah, Yanni's been. We've slowed down quite a bit in the last year or so. Uh, we're not, we don't seem to be working quite as much. We had been doing a, you know, a U.S. leg every, every couple of years. Um, this year, obviously, we're not. Um, but I don't think we were, we were going to actually do one anyway. Uh, I'd say probably 80% of his stuff is international, and, and you can only do you know, so much of that a year. Uh, you know, the, the 16-hour plane flights get, get pretty old. Yeah. Especially, so I, I, don't, does, I don't, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, did she come up through the theater world as well? Like you did? Uh, yes. She actually, uh, went, got a, has a degree in, in costume design from university of Arizona. Um, okay. But she got that actually after I met her. Uh, but that's, but between that and, and knowing a lot of the people that I know, um, you know, she's, she's gotten work initially, from some people she's met through me and then, and, and then it's gone from there. Uh, she worked for meatloaf for a long time, Jamie Foxx for a long time. Uh, and now, now share, um, quite the power couple. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so you started in set design. Is that accurate? St- uh, set no, building? I was, at, I was actually, that was only, those were the first jobs I was able to get out of school. Uh, I actually gotcha. have a degree. I have a degree in 
Uh, I went to school at University of California, Santa Barbara. There weren't specialized degrees in the theater field uh, offered. So my degree is in dramatic art. Okay. Uh, but I really did 90% lighting design work when I was in school. Okay. Uh, the first job I had at a school, which was actually before graduation, was at the Santa Fe Opera. And that was as a carpenter. Um, so my first professional job, the job I got paid for, was as a carpenter. And from there, I... Uh, moved down to Southern California where my parents were living and did some uh, work at a community theater, which led to working at the, at the pageant of the masters in Laguna beach as a carpenter. And then at South coast rep theater, uh, as a carpenter before when they, when their theater was a converted storefront in Newport beach. Uh, they're now one of the, probably the top rep companies in the country. Um, and at that point, I really wanted to do more lighting work. A friend of mine told me about a lighting company in Hollywood that did uh, touring work. And uh, I got hired by uh, Jim Moody at Sundance Lighting, uh, along with uh, oh, Bits, who I'm sure you know. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Ed Kish the next year, uh, Paul Dexter, uh, Roger Ball, a bunch of other people came out of there. Uh, and that was my yeah. first foray into, I think my first job was making twofers. Um, <laughs> asbestos tubers at that i think uh, yeah <laughs> and then i actually uh went on a tour that first year i worked for them which was 78 and then got i uh, walked into my first road design later that year for uh for devo and mm. i do some uh i still like building stuff so I, I still do some some uh not furniture building but i'll do i'll do still do some carpentry work um but the uh, the work as a senior carpenter was really jobs that were available that I could find. Right. <clears throat> uh, when I was in school, I was sure at a, when I got out of school, I'd move to New York and uh, you know go find work as an assistant to a Broadway designer and and step up that way. And it just never never came about that way. Right on. It sounds like you followed the natural progression though, because it, it used to be the set designers who built and designed the sets, and now progressively it's more and more the lighting designer who builds who designs the set because it's yeah. all just video sure that, was that a natural progression for you oh i think so because when i was when i was in school um i was fortunate enough to have a design teacher who was really looked upon theatrical design as uh from more from the european approach which was really a sonographer uh, like the guys out of Czechoslovakia, uh, Joseph Svoboda, et cetera, who really did lighting and set and a lot of them costumes as well as, as all integrated together. Um, so I think it's a natural progression, uh, certainly these days with, you know, with the amount of sets being half video. Um, mm -hmm. and I, and I've always been a big fan of it being, uh, really one person having a design idea that that lighting and scenery are both integral to right yeah it makes it so you don't have to cross check your ideas and make sure that you guys are gelling because you're you're the same same person sure and it's all about having you know good good scenic construction companies and and people who are working with you who you know understand how all of that stuff it has to integrate together you know companies like tate really have you know, taking that to a, another level. Do you think that you're, 
degree in your general degree helped you being able to see the, the, the overall picture? Well, yeah, I do. I, I think when you work in a, in a, in a, in a theater program where even though you might be specializing, you're required to do some scenic design, some costume design, some acting, some directing, some stage management. Uh, it certainly helps a lot working in theater houses. And I think it helps. I think anything in theater really helps uh, overall in, in rock and roll lighting, in any kind of lighting, whether it's rock and roll or corporate or television. Um, because you really, it's just the way you approach it, uh, you know, from an overall overall idea and all of those other elements being, you know, parts of that idea that contribute to, you know, the final product uh, mm -hmm. and to understand everybody's, everybody else's roles, uh, especially in a touring situation, uh, you know, is really essential. Um, yeah. I'd imagine that's part of what allows you to stay calm under pressures that you know that everybody is equally under pressure because you kind of understand their roles as well. Well, sure. And, you know, and with Yanni, we don't carry an elaborate set. Uh, we use local risers. We carry some soft goods that I, that I spent. Um, and the audio guys, basically, can, we can't, all the monitor stuff is, travels with us. Um, so really, the audio guys are dealing with racks and stacks, you know, and, and everything else is consistent day to day. So mm -hmm. I'm really the only person that has to deal with, <laughs> you know, very large discrepancies. Uh, and, 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 and every day being a new adventure, uh, you know, it really is. It's, it's the old, you know, we're going to push the go button and see what happens. Um, because Yanni's show is very structured. Uh, it, it's very, very timing specific. Um, uh, nothing is, everything's driven manually. Um, so for me to deal with, you know, unknown fixtures on a daily basis is always interesting to say the least. Yeah, that's interesting to, for you to mention that you're the only one who's really getting thrown to the wolves there. Uh, yeah. So many things for everybody else is just, you know, uh, costumes. They can usually take everything with them. Sure. Sound. I mean, if, if you don't get the exact sound console you need, then your day is going to be a, a mess. And so they, they often get priority in, on truck space. But you... Well, yeah, and I mean, you know, our stuff, we, we basically have all of the stuff we carry for international shows fits in a uh, 140-foot seat container. And we basically have two of those that are duplicates of each other. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that came about where we did a, a show in South America somewhere, and then they booked a show three weeks later in Europe and realized it was going to cost a very large and stupid amount of money to air freight, you know, 40 foot <laughs> container full of gear, uh, to Europe. And mm -hmm. basically we, then we duplicated everything. Uh, one set lives in our warehouse here in Los Angeles. Uh, the other set basically lives in our freight forwarders in Rotterdam. Um, and then we will leapfrog those, uh, around the world. So, I mean, I carry a console and a wing audio carries everything except racks and stacks and then all the band equipment, uh, which really is not, aside from the piano and the keyboards, there's really not much of it. Uh, you know, drum set, which isn't huge, percussion, et cetera. Um, but those guys, you know, their, their stuff, backline stuff takes an hour, hour and a half, uh, a little longer wow. for the piano tuner and keyboards. Uh, there just isn't that much of it. You know, you've got a lot of right. strings and horn players, um, you know, that could walk in with their own stuff. Um, yeah. 
So how long has the Johnny crew been together? Is it the same bunch of guys? Uh, there's a number of us. The production supervisor, one of the audio guys, has been there longer than I. Um, most of the crew has been there for a while, uh, at least five or six years. Uh, a couple of us, over 20. Wow. Um, as I said, my first show was 97. Um, there's one our sound engineer who just left recently had been there uh, since the very since Yanni moved to Minneapolis, which wow. I think was which I think was seventy two or seventy three. It's a long run. It's a long run. Uh, the drummer has been with Yanni since they were in a different band out of Minneapolis in the seventies, uh, and some of the musicians have been there for twenty plus years as well. Wow. I would imagine that's a, a second family for you then. It is definitely a family. Um, you know, the, at times it seems like the show days take second, you know, second fiddle to, you know, uh, I mean, every now and then we'll have time. We were just in um, uh, last year in Al Ula, Saudi Arabia, in this venue that was brand new venue that was built in the middle of nowhere. And we actually had a day off before we left after the show. So we all went out and did a, uh, did dune buggy rides through the desert, uh, et cetera, which was great. I know we do, we do spend a lot of time off together. Uh, and it's That's definitely, great. I mean, everybody's very close, uh, which is great. I mean, it's, it's, as you know, road families would make the road uh, bearable. Um, especially if you're doing, you know, living on buses. Uh, when we do bus tours with Yanni, we'll do at least four, usually five shows a week, uh, sometimes six. So we're working. <laughs> Man. Yeah. He can work, huh? He's, uh, he's well, he down for those. He, uh... he, doesn't, he doesn't sing. Right. You know, so for him to come out and do his, you know, couple of hours a night, he's not straining vocal cords. Uh, and mm -hmm. the, one, the one singer we have in the show is on two or three songs. So there's no reason we can't do, you know, aside from us, <laughs> that we can't do a lot of shows a week. Uh, right on. That was certainly easier when I was 25 than you know, 65. I hear you. I hear you. I'm gaining on you. I'm getting there. So when you're out on the road with a, a second family, do you find that you like to be introverted every once in a while? Or are you constantly, if there's an event, you're gonna you're gonna go out there and uh, hang out with your team? Uh, it depends. Um, I, I'm not the most social person in the world, and if I've done Chances are, if, if we've worked a lot of shows in a row, I have other stuff to catch up on on days off as well. Um, until about a year ago, when I hurt my shoulder, my, my days off were usually golf. Okay. And there were three or four of us on the tour who played golf, and certainly on the U.S. tour, pretty much every day off, uh, which was great. And that, that's a great escape, uh, even if you play a shitty round of golf, you're outdoors and you're breathing fresh air and seeing the sky and seeing the trees, you know, and very rarely do we spend any time, almost never really talking about work. Uh, That's awesome. Those, which is great. Uh, I mean, and hopefully I'll be able to get back, back into that soon. If I, if I ever do a tour again, <laughs> <laughs> it'll happen. I, I, I feel, feel optimistic gonna, for you. It's going to, going to be a while. I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, sometime next, early to mid next year before we see tourists on the road. Um, 
So we'll I see what so. happens, you know. Yeah, I don't think we're going to get to do uh, a major show in Mexico City anytime in the near you know, let alone, let alone the U S there's just the U S touring. There's because of the way logistically it has to work. There's just too many, too many barriers that will be there for a while. Yeah. So we'll see if it'll happen. You know, at least I'm not out on the street. <laughs> no, if anybody can't, uh, anybody who's still listening at the, after an hour, you, you can't see Bud's uh, home office, but he looks very comfortable. He's doing quite well in there. Looks like, uh, Looks like LA is treating you all right. Yeah, we actually uh, we actually bought this prop uh, this property is a half an acre, which anybody who doesn't live in LA that's a decent sized plot of land for Los Angeles. We actually bought this property twenty years ago, and the reason we bought it was to build a house at the back of the property for my mom and dad, uh, who okay. were older and couldn't and couldn't drive, and they've both since passed away. Uh, but we actually built a uh, a two thousand square foot house at the back of the property for them. Um, so yeah, I mean, this place is great. Um, and I have, yeah. I have room to have chickens, so I get fresh eggs every day. Very um, nice. Which is, yeah, my chickens are a little bit traumatized. We had a coyote come on the property last week and decide one of them needed to go with him. <clears throat> Just one. That's good. Just one, well, yeah, there's one. I don't think he, I, I think that was only because, uh, you mean one coyote or one chicken. I don't think he could carry more than one chicken at a time. Uh, uh, yeah, sometimes coyotes aren't actually just going for the chicken, though. They're coming just to wreak havoc sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, he definitely wreaked havoc on my other chickens because they're still all flipped out. <laughs> wow. That's tough. They, uh, they'll feel that for a while. Yeah, I'm sure they will. You know, so we're much more proactive about you know, when we let them in and out of their coop. Because generally, during the day, they're, they're free roaming around the property. Um, Right but I'm putting them away earlier and earlier, it seems. Well, I I can't believe that an hour has flown by. Wow. Thank you so much for your That's, time. This is oh, uh, it's really good to catch up. I, I feel like I'm. we're so fortunate to have this amount of time to hang out for, for mm-hmm. better or for worse for all the reasons that we have an hour sure. to sure. hang out. But thank you so much for your time, bud. I really appreciate my, it. My pleasure, Chris. It was a pleasure to chat with you.